0: what it takes to be number one. I know you, all of you all probably have that lesson. It was handed out at the beginning of the month, what it takes to be number one. And then we had Brother Cox come that next Sunday, and then we had Easter the next Sunday. So, <laughs> so but, you know, really I thought about it. Everything that we hear preached here, everything we hear taught here, it all kind of revolves around that whole concept of what it takes to be number one. Right? I, I like being number one. You know that. Think I think about that that athlete that's standing on that top step of, at the Olympics and they're getting the gold medal. It's an awesome feeling to be number one. But it's not about really us being number one. Really, as as it is about him being number one in us, because. If he's number one in my life, then that makes me number one because I'm connected to him. Amen? So did you start the recording already? Okay, cool. Awesome. Praise God. So let's uh, keep our pastor in prayer today as he ministers. He's been ministering since uh, yesterday and um, in Rockford. And then Sister Parker, let's keep her in prayer. And uh, that God will bring him back safely and keep all the, as he always says, keep all the animals in the woods till he gets here. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. John chapter 14, verse 12 is the key scripture for this. And if you don't have one of the lessons, there's a couple left in the back. Somebody doesn't have one. Um, this will be the last, the, the final lesson on this subject. Of what it takes to be number one. John chapter 14 verse 12 says. Verily, verily, I say unto you. He that believeth on me the works that I do. Shall he do also. And greater works than these shall you do. Because I go to my father. Now that pretty much left it wide open to just about anybody. That could be anybody in this room. He's talking to. Down through time, Jesus is saying greater works than he did. And in the, there's one place in the Bible that says that if all the things that he did, if all the miracles that he did, if all the works that he did were written, there wouldn't be enough books. It would just fill up, you know, every library and would, there wouldn't be enough books written. So the only, Things, just the things that we needed to know about were written, but there was so much more that he did. And he was telling his disciples, and by extension he was telling us, that we are going to do greater things than he did. What, what does that mean? Well, what did Jesus do? He walked up and to a blind man, and he grabbed a pile of dirt off the ground, and he spit in it and made some mud, and he shoved it in the guy's eyeball socket and just prayed over him, and all of a sudden the guy had an eyeball, and he could see. Or he had a man that came into the temple with a withered hand. I went to high school with a guy that had one of those hands like that. And he just told him, he said, stretch forth thine hand. he didn't say, stretch forth thine withered hand. He just said, stretch forth thine hand. So he had let the guy decide which hand it was going to be, Right? He did it publicly, did all this stuff publicly, and it wasn't in a church building. Imagine that. And that man stretched forth his hand, and it was made whole like the other one, right? You just think of the miracles as you've read your Bible, all the stuff that Jesus did. He just stood there with some fish and some bread and started tearing it, and And as he tore it, it just kept multiplying in his hands. Just kept multiplying, kept multiplying. And he kept handing them more. Here, go feed some more. Here, go feed some more. And then out of a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread, there was 12 baskets left. We read that we go, wow, must have been cool to live back in that day and see that happen. Well, I'm here to tell you, he said, greater works than these shall you do. Because I go to my Father. He was leaving it in our hands to not only do those kind of things, but even greater things. I believe it was the missionary, were you doing the mission service, where the missionary was talking about the young lady that was praying in Jesus' name, and, and the, the it was in Africa or someplace, and the Muslims were there, and they were trying to shoot him up, and they, they were shooting bullets into the building. know. Yeah. This the missionary that was there. And these Muslims were shooting into the building. It was just a metal building. From all directions, from both sides. <laughs> yeah. Like can't miss, right? It's like shooting fish in a in a bowl. <laughs> and there, they went back and there's holes all through the, the sheet metal on the outside of the building. Not one person got touched in that building, in that service that they were praying, praying in tongues. God, you know, God was moving. And then this one guy came to the door of the church and they were going to come in and start shooting people. And she, this young lady, 17 year old lady just held her Bible up and said in Jesus name and he shot and nothing happened. And all the, I think I might, I might be getting this wrong. All the bullets fell out of their, their guns and they all ran and left like all their clips just. And they all, and years later, one of those guys showed up at one of their services said, so I was there when that happened, and I could never forget that. Now, you say, that, that sounds almost far-fetched, doesn't it? But God, the name of Jesus can stop a bullet. All right? And that, they said that one preacher guy there had all kinds of holes in his clothes from where bullets had went, but they never touched him. Wasn't a scratch on him. So greater works than these shall you do. And it just blows your mind, doesn't it, that God could use you to do stuff like that. It's not for special certain people, is it? It's for it's for anybody that's got enough faith to believe that. Right? So does that mean that I could go if God told me to do it, that I could pick up dirt and spit in it and put it a mud ball in a guy's eye and, and God make an eyeball out of that? Yeah. It just sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? But God, he He said, Jesus is God, isn't he? Last time I checked, he said, greater works than these shall you do. Because I go to my Father. He gave us his authority and power in the Holy Ghost. He gave us the ability. And it's really not us doing it. It's him doing it through us. I mean, he's getting the glory and the credit. It's not for us to go, look what I did. But he, it's all, he's all about making us number one to this world. Right? So in the lesson it says, Vince Lombardi's books, in, in his book, said, uh, what it takes to be number one, he says, winning like losing is a habit that we get into. So, I, you know, I had a lot of habits, things I did in the world before I knew that Jesus was going to be my Savior, before I knew I needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. And And a lot of people notice. Actually, my family, what? You don't drink anymore? What? You don't do this anymore? What? You don't cuss anymore? No. Because I'm serving the Lord who is number one, and so he's making me number one. So, you know, a team that goes into to, like a basketball team or, you know, a Final Four a national championship team doesn't just become a national championship team just by accident, do they? No. You know, Vince Lombardi. That's why he wrote that book. He had a winning attitude. He had a winning spirit. He had the he, the, the teams that he coached had a habit of winning. Why? Because it was it was all about their attitude. It was all about what he put in them, that even if they lost a game. They were still winning. In their mind, they were still winning. And we're going to go through some stuff. And we're going to experience some things. And God is going to work on us. And he's going to cause us to go through trials and tests and things that's going to make us better than what we were. We were talking about that downstairs, you know. If Job had to go through what he had to go through, if Paul had to go through and have the thing that he had that he tried to pray God take off of him, He said, take this this thorn in the flesh, this thing that's that's getting on my nerves all the time. And, And the Lord told him, no. I'm leaving that there because my grace is sufficient because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. He didn't want Paul to get all lifted up because he was going to be speaking revelation and telling him things that were just out of this world. And he didn't want Paul to get all lifted up in himself because he knows this flesh can do that. Right. So First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-four through twenty-seven. First Corinthians nine, twenty-four through twenty-seven, it says, "Know ye not that they which run in a race run all; they give all they got. Don't you don't you don't uh, become a part of the Olympic running team, and and you don't spend four years preparing for a race to lose, do you? Right." But one receiveth the prize. Only one person is going to cross the finish line first. So run that you might obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they that do obtain a corrupt, they, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as cer- uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. we got to strive to be the very best, number one, that we can be for Jesus. I want to be the best representative of him that I can be. That's what Paul was saying. And so just like an athlete that's that's running a marathon or running whatever they're doing in the Olympics, they're training to be the very best swimmer or runner or whatever that they can be. Right? They're not going there with the attitude of, well, if I get second place, that's good enough. No. Even these guys that do this curling thing out of Wisconsin. (laughs) But they go there, they practice. They have their little curling clubs around here. I drive past a lot of them, and they practice that thing. till they're so good at it that they get out in front of the cameras and everything in public, and they do the very best of, out of all the groups that are there trying to make number one. And so God, in his infinite wisdom and God in his love and mercy, has drawn us in. You know, no man comes to him except he draws us well, he drew us. He loved us enough to draw us. And he brought us in. And he made us to be number one. As long as we acknowledge and, and realize that it's in him. Like I said downstairs, we move, live and move and have our being. It's all about him. It's all about his way. First Corinthians 9. Uh, oh, no, I don't know read that. So we, we didn't get into this thing to just sit back and be a spectator right that athlete doesn't spend 4 years of eating all the right foods and eating not eat and sacrificing all the donuts and sacrificing all the things that their flesh wants to eat so that they can be in the best physical shape possible and the, you know the runners they have to condition themselves so I have family members that have run marathons and so they start out 6 months a year before the actual you know 26 mile race and they start out running a mile and after about a week, they, they up it to two miles. And they up it to five miles. And they up it to ten miles. And they, they're conditioning their body for that race, to, to, for the endurance, for their leg muscles and all the, the muscles in their body and for their lungs so that they, they, could, they get the breathing down right because it's all about breathing. It's all about pacing yourself and all these kind of things. They, they condition themselves for four years before they go to the Olympics and run in that race. And they sacrifice, and they don't go out to eat, and they and they don't drink alcohol. They do they do all the things necessary. They they bring their body into subjection. And Paul says they do it for corruptible crowns. So why is that any different for us? We expect to be number one in the kingdom. Not That we should be competing against each other. I'm his favorite. No, I'm his favorite. All the kids want to be daddy or mommy's favorite child, right? But we're all his favorites. He wants all of us to succeed. He wants all of us to be his number one in this world. He wants all of us to have that character that we talked about downstairs where we are his number one representative. Really, really, we are. He said we're his hands and his feet. We are his representatives. Now, he could bypass all of us and just go individually and talk to every person, but he doesn't do it that way. When he, left the, when he left this earth, he left it in the hands of 12 men, right? He left the church in the hands of 12 men who then went and won 3,000. And it, then the church was left in the hands of 3,012. And then they went out from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship together. And, and God gave them favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And if you go on and read... Another five thousand were added later, and then it goes on. It doesn't even name numbers anymore after a while. Just multitude, multiplying, not adding but multiplying. So, so the more and the more they were persecuted, the more the church grew. So, we are to be his number one. You know, when we lived in the world, and I can speak for myself, I guess. I can't speak for everybody in the room, but we gave 100% of ourselves to doing what we did, living the way we lived, talking the way we talked, acting the way we acted, the way we spent our money, everything. We gave 100%. When I was on that club dance floor, I I couldn't dance a lick, but I'd get out there like I could, and I gave 100% to that. If everybody was laughing, I didn't know, but that was my life. So when I came to this, I said, if I gave 100% to that, why would I not want to give 100% of who I am? And even more so if I could give more than 100% to living for God. And there's no more than 100%, is there? We hear the term 110%. There's only 100% of 100%. Anyway, I Chris. But you know what I'm saying, right? as much as you gave yourself to this world whether you're an athlete or a drunk when when it comes to serving the lord you want i want to give him 100% i don't want to hold anything back cuz really if you think about it he didn't hold anything back he made us every one of us in this room number 1 when he went to that cross he said i'm doing this for you i'm doing this for you why he said when he went on that mountain to pray, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done, Father. That's what he, that was his whole purpose and goal in life. It was for us. Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, George Washington Carver, Martin Luther King, and many others believed so strongly in the thing that they believed in, the thing that they were doing. And I could just go on and on about each one of those, but you know who they are that they did whatever was necessary to do to accomplish the thing that they were pushing and accomplish and des- desiring to do to build a car to, to de- design electric light bulbs or whatever it is they were doing they gave 100% of themselves to that to the point where they endured mocking and and all kinds of ridicule and you'll never do anything and you're not going to succeed at that and they just kind of shrugged it off and said, yeah, you're entitled to your opinion. But they pressed on anyway. And today we, if you drive a Ford, you know, thank God that Henry Ford didn't listen to all the, the naysayers, right? That Thomas Edison didn't listen to all the naysayers. I mean, somebody else would have invented the light bulb, but so, thank God that some of those people didn't listen to the, the critics and the naysayers and those that were mocking and laughing at them. Right? If I would to listen to the critics and the naysayers when it came to my time to come before the Lord and make a decision to live for Him, I probably wouldn't be. But I didn't. I didn't care what anybody thought. I was all the way over in, in Japan, and I didn't care what my family was going to think about this, this new Vince that they were going to get to see and meet. I didn't care. What they thought didn't matter to me. This was, this was something I was doing for me and by extension for my family. That, you know, the repercussions of one decision can, can touch lives for years and years and decades to come. Just one little decision. And that goes to, I mean, that's not just about living for God. You know, the decision of a, of a father 80 years ago to start drinking can affect and, Generation after generation, right? Alcoholism can affect. It just keeps going, right? Doesn't it? Am, am I telling the truth? It's true. So somewhere along the line, some something's got to come along to break that chain. And when I I felt like when that when my experience happened, it broke it. It broke something in my family. And God used me. I just felt so privileged. <laughs> I don't know why he picked me, God. But he did. He broke something a, a tradition, religious tradition, spirit or whatever you want to call it. In my family, he broke that in me so that my kids and my grandkids and beyond don't have to don't have to experience all that anymore. He gave them something better. It all started it had to start with something, someone and it started with me. Amen. Jesus really gave us the example in his walk on this earth about what it meant to be number one. He knew who he was. He knew he was the Lord of glory. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew that he was going to have to die on that cross. And so he went about doing his level best to be number one so that we would have an example to follow. And so as I alluded to earlier, he went... All of his miracles were done out in public, out in the, you know, blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road, old dusty, dirty road, you know. He did all this in public. He went about hanging out with all the people that nobody wanted to hang out with. He broke every Jewish religious rule that he could break. (laughs) He was trying to help even the Jewish religious guys see that, yeah, all your rules and regulations are great, and keeping everybody in line and following the rules is great, but there's so much more to this than what you're preaching. And he even tried to reach them, and he did reach some of them. The two guys that came and buried him. Who were they? Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They were both in part of the Sanhedrin. They secretly believed in him. But they, but after he died, they couldn't hold back anymore. They couldn't hide it anymore. Nicodemus came to him by night. We don't even hear about Joseph of Arimathea till the the day of his death. But those guys were like, hey, it doesn't matter anymore what they think. Right? Because they, this, everything, because these guys had studied the word. They knew, wow, this is fulfillment of prophecy this is really something here so he he came along and did all that and then he grafted us in one day you know you know what grafting is right where you take you could do a little YouTube video you probably search on that but they can take you know, a tree or a plant and graft in a new a new one in there, and then they tie it up, and then eventually that tree will take on the nature, that graft will take on the nature of the tree that it's being associated with. And so he grafted us in. He connected us to the vine. Why he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You abide in me, my word abides in you. He said we could do anything, right? Cuz he really said without me you can do nothing. Without being connected to me cuz I'm number 1, I'm the one. I'm the only one. The one true God, you can do nothing. So with in him and with him we can do all things. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now that all things has stipulation, right? That's all things for him. Right. I can do all. I can fly planes. plane. <laughs> Not what that means. <laughs> the, take some lessons and you, know, you just can't climb in there and say, all right, Jesus, show me how to do this. <laughs> right. He grafted us in. He made us to be a part of who he is. And then he said, greater works than these shall you do. Shall we do greater works? So my question to myself is, and to you, where are those greater works? You need to ask yourself. <laughs> right. 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 What do you want me to do today, Jesus? Where do you want me to go today? Who do you want me to talk to today? What do you want me to say? Who do you want me to say it to? Don't think for a minute that he's just looking for somebody that's willing to be faithful and to trust him. He he doesn't need a Lee Stone King necessarily to go up and walk up to somebody and lay hands on them and they get healed immediately. He can use you for, to do that. He can use Maggie to do that. I'm not kidding. You shall receive power. What is that? That's supernatural ability, right? Dunamis. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll she, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And these signs, what does that say? These signs shall follow them. That believe. It doesn't say that these signs shall follow them that have preaching license. <laughs> it's, it says these signs shall follow them that believe. That little young lady, that 17-year-old lady that held that Bible up and said in Jesus' name and stopped that bullet. She wasn't a preacher. She was just a young teenager. Just she she believed in. What that book said enough, and she believed in prayer enough, you know, that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man shall avail much. She believed it enough and trusted God enough that I believe that God told her to do it in prayer. To show himself mighty. Can he use you for that? Absolutely. Would God, God forbid, he would ask you to pray somebody through the Holy Ghost at work. In the break room, right? God forbid he should ask you to to pray for Linda and ask God to heal her ears. <laughs> He's just waiting for somebody to, to trust him, to believe him for that. I've watched people get the Holy Ghost in, out in public in the Morale, Welfare, and Recreation building in Okinawa. we just having a Bible study. Next thing you know, we're standing up praying. Guys, getting the Holy Ghost right there in front of God and everybody in a government facility. <laughs> he's no respecter of persons. If he doesn't use, if he if he's not willing to operate through us and use every one of us in this room to do anything, that have his spirit and his power and and, and have his direction in our life, then then he need then then if he says he's no respecter of person, he'd have to go back on his own word. So we're, we're his vessels, right? The Bible says we're a chosen vessel, royal priesthood, a holy nation. Acts 21, 10 through 14 said, And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus, and when he had come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound it, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him under the hands of the Gentiles. And when he had heard these things, both we and they that of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Whoa. And when they would not, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. Thy will be done. Somebody else said that. (laughs) Wasn't that Jesus that said that? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what he told us to pray, wasn't it? When his disciples said, Teach us to pray, he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's one of the things we're supposed to pray. You're God let your kingdom come in my life. Cuz what is the, the the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So we have the kingdom of God dwelling in us. If we have the Holy Ghost, we we've, we've invited the kingdom of God in us and so Thy kingdom come in me. Thy will be done in me. If, God, if you want to use me, that's what Paul was saying here. If God's going to use me to send me to Rome to talk to Caesar himself, then I'm willing to do that. If it means i got to be put in bondage and in chains and put in prison to get me there. And that's how exactly how it went. Right? It didn't make sense. Why, why couldn't God just let him go there? He had to he had to get get him bound and in prison so he could get him on that ship so that he could go through that storm so he could go through all that stuff because there were some other people he needed to reach along the way. Right? He had to have that snake latch onto his hand so he could shake it off. So all those people on that island of Melita could go, Wow, this guy's he's got the power of God in him. Right? But so, We don't understand sometimes why we're going through stuff we're going through in our life, why we are where we are, physically, spiritually, or otherwise. But he's trying, he's working on us. we sang that cute little song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. I don't want the Lord to stop working on me. I want to be number one for him. And if he's got to work some things out of me, even after living in, in... doing this for 30 years if he still sees stuff in me that's not pleasing to him by all means i want him to get it out i want him to help me with that i want to be all that i can be for him i want to be number one to him so that he can look at me and say that's a servant that's somebody i'll use that's somebody i'll that i can use and they won't take the glory for it amen paul it's all about commitment really paul was committed to the thing that he had been called to do. You know, when Paul was sharing the story of when, when God not, you know, blinded him on the road to Damascus and all that. And, and, uh, he told Ananias when Ananias, he was telling him, I need you to go talk to Saul. <laughs> and Ananias said, who me? That's that guy that's killing people, killing our people. And, God said, "That's okay. I've I've already got him prepared for you to go talk to him." And he said, "I need you to go tell him the things that he must suffer for my namesake." So it doesn't say what Ananias said, but but that didn't that didn't stop Paul from doing what he from saying. Okay, if 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 the God of glory, see, Paul was a Jew and he knew that God was a spirit. That's why he said. Who art thou, Lord, when he was blinded on that road? why well, he said that. Who art thou, Jehovah? Who art thou, Yahweh? Who are you talking to me? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. That was like a light bulb that came on in Paul's mind. The very people he was persecuting, here's the, the very person that he thought he was doing the will of God and the work of God, was talking to him from out of nowhere. So when, when that man came and said, here's the things you're going to have to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus, Paul was willing. He was, he was like, I'll do that. I'm committed to that. I'll do whatever it takes. And he even told those, those folks when Agabus, you know, tied his own hands and said, the, the owner of this, this garment is going to be bound and, and, and all those things. And Paul already knew. This is just one of those things. And if i got to go to the grave for the sake of the name of Jesus, so be it. If, this, if I'm doing the will of God, then it's in his plan for me to die anyway. You know, we were talking a couple weeks ago or last weekend about not being afraid to die. We shouldn't be afraid of death. Right? The Bible says death is swallowed up in victory. yeah. And it's not about this world anyway. It's not about what we have down here anyway. It's about something that's beyond this place. Amen? Writer and leadership trainer John Maxwell said, I used to have this on my email at the bottom of my email, and it's, uh, he said, your attitude will determine your altitude. Think about that. Your attitude, all in how you approach a thing, will determine how high you go. How you approach a situation that's happening in your life will determine your altitude. Vince Lombardi said, Most people fail not because of a lack of desire, but because of a lack of commitment. Amen? You know, they say that when you have a bacon and egg breakfast, that the the chicken is a participant, but the pig is committed. Right? Right? You had to die for that bacon sitting on your plate. All the chicken had to do was lay an egg. In case you all, somebody didn't get that. <laughs> Author Ken Blanchard said there's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in doing something, you do it only when it's convenient. Wow. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses and you only accept results. Amen? So Jesus is all about us being number one today, for him. And I don't know about you, but I want to be his number one. I want to be that vessel if it's in Wisconsin or if it's in wherever he needs me to be. I want to be the, the best that I can be for Jesus. if whatever His will, I got to really be able to pray that prayer. Like he prayed it. Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. Wherever it is you need me, God, I'm there. Whatever it is you need me to do, I'm there. And somebody said this morning in the training, and if God's prompting you to say something and be bold, then you just need to say it. Because he's backing you up. Amen? How many believes that this morning? God's, God's got your back. He's got your front. He's got your side. He's got... I mean, when he's in you, he's got it. Doesn't mean you won't suffer some things, but God's got you covered by his blood and he's going to take care of the situation. He might let you go through some stuff. Don't ever think that you get out of going through stuff. If you, all you got to do is read the Bible, read about Paul and all these people. And, you know, like I heard one man say, the retirement plan for preachers back in the, on the day of, after the day of Pentecost, Paul and James and Peter and all those guys—they had a really great retirement plan. Every one of them was scheduled to die short, as, as young. <laughs> they didn't get to go through you know thirty or forty years of ministry and then go retire and go fishing somewhere. <laughs> they were in it for the long haul, and whatever even even it meant death, they were in it for that. And so we've, we've got to be in this thing to win this thing. We've got to be committed to the kingdom. There's, God doesn't have age discrimination. How many believe that? Really? There's no age limit. God can use an 8-year-old. God can use an 80-year-old. He can operate through you. It doesn't matter. He's just looking for somebody that's going to be faithful. Amen. Thank you, Father, for this lesson this morning. We pray your hand upon each one as we go to our break and come back, that you would continue to minister in this place, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.